My Rebels, today I take you through Sheila Gunn-Reed's scoop, 42 pages of internal emails from the CBC about how to handle commenters on their website that they don't like. It's quite something. And the lengths they go to protect Wendy Mansley after she was dropping the N-word is shocking. I'll give you some uh, new thoughts on that too, but Sheila gets the big uh, points for the scoop. Um, before I get to that part of the podcast, let me invite you to become a subscriber to the TV version of the podcast. We call it Rebel News Plus. Eight bucks a month, which is not too bad. 80 bucks a year if you pay in advance. That's a bargain. And you get my show, Sheila Gunn Reed's show, David Menzies' show, Andrew Chapito's show, and the satisfaction of supporting Canada's largest independent media outlet. We don't take a dime from Trudeau. Here's today's show. Tonight, the CBC is absolutely paranoid about what ordinary Canadians think of it. I'll show you their internal emails. It's June 16th, and this is the Ezra LeVant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. Sheila Gunn-Reed had a great scoop yesterday, 42 pages of internal CBC emails panicking about what Canadians think about them and f scheming ways to get Canadians to stop saying things the CBC didn't want them to say. You've never seen a more thin-skinned, hypersensitive, politically correct bunch of censors than the CBC. They really are gross, and reading the emails, you can feel cancel culture in action. They're canceling you and anyone else like you who would criticize them. It's super gross. If you haven't seen Sheila's report on the subject, I really encourage you to do so. You can find it on our website or on a special compilation page we made called rebelinvestigates.com that has a ton of interesting scoops just like this one. Real investigations, not just punditry, but real digging. You know, it's funny, the parliamentary press gallery They've banned Rebel News and other conservative reporters, even though it has a long history of accrediting state broadcasters from actual dictatorships, including China. We object to that. We want to be accredited to report our own parliament, but get real for a moment. There are no press conferences on Parliament Hill where they hand out scoops like this, where they invite you to look through 42 pages of secret emails. If you're going to a government press conference you're gonna be given government talking points. I suppose a real journalist could stand up and ask pointed questions, but again, most of the parliamentary press gallery are really just government journalists. So really, government press conference, government journalists, you're not gonna get news like that, are you? So Sheila did a great job of going through these 42 pages, but I wanna talk about just one part of it because I wanna talk about how the CBC, which claims to be against racism and sexism, they actually handle racism and sexism. Well, I want to show you how they do it. And this is going to shock you. They're like Justin Trudeau. He claims to be anti-racist, but he's dressed up in blackface so many times, he's lost count. He claims to be for reconciliation with Aboriginal people, except he fired Canada's first Indigenous justice minister for being too ethical. He mocked people from a northern reserve with mercury poisoning in their water. Remember this? Thank you very much. Thank you for being here tonight. Thank you. 
Thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you very much for your donation tonight. I really appreciate the uh, donation to the Liberal Party of Canada. And of course, Trudeau claims to be a feminist. But when he was asked about sexually assaulting a reporter named Rose Knight, remember he said this. Responsible for my side of the interaction, which certainly, as I said, I don't feel was in any way untoward. But at the same time, this lesson that we are learning in, and I'll be blunt about it, often a man experiences an interaction as being benign or not inappropriate, and a woman, uh, particularly in a professional context, can experience it differently, and we have to respect that. So I know, total shocker, the CBC is the same. They claim they're against sexism and especially against sexual violence, but remember, when multiple women not connected to each other started making independent accusations that the CBC star Gian Gameshi was physically and sexually violent with them, you'll recall what the CBC did. Senior managers at the CBC set up a war room, a crisis management center, not to solve the problem, not to investigate the problem and stop it and end the madness and to dig into these complaints, but the opposite to dig up dirt on the accusers, to discredit the accusers. Senior CBC spin doctors, many of whom are still there to this day, instead of fighting against a violent sexist named Gian Gameshi, they defended him. They were on his side, they lied for him. They literally smeared his accusers. It was the opposite of the Me Too movement. Imagine working there at the CBC and thinking you're a feminist. Well, that's what male feminists are all like. Bill Clinton, Harvey Weinstein, Justin Trudeau, all the leftist men who say they're feminists, they're just doing it as a trick, as a misdirection. If you don't see that, you're blind. But look at this about Wendy Mesley. You know, Wendy Mesley is Peter Mansbridge's ex-wife. That um, place has always been about nepotism, always has been. Mesley was given a bizarre, obscure show about left-wing conspiracy theories called The Weekly. It was just once a week, and it was really... Mopping up the leftovers of U.S. talk shows a week or two after they were down, like when, uh, after they were done, when something was newsy down there, maybe a month later, Wendy Mesley would pick it up. Seriously, scrolling through her shows, you can see them here, uh, called The Weekly, you'd wonder, why is this even on something called Canadian Broadcasting Corporation? I mean, there were a few Canadian stories, for sure. But mostly it was just left-wing conspiracy theories about American politics, especially about Trump. Like, nothing was too kooky, like, could Don Jr. bring down the White House, or Stormy Daniels in Russia, or is Jared Kushner going to leave the White House, or is Rudy Giuliani going to get in trouble? Now, I mean, there's a theme here. We get it. She hates Donald Trump. There's another theme. Every one of these stories is a little bit kooky, gossipy, conspiracy theory, and none of them came true. Yeah, sorry, no, Don Jr. didn't bring down the White House. Jared Kushner didn't leave the White House. Another theme is... This was all paid for by Canadian tax dollars, and, and it had nothing to do with Canada. Hey, I'm all for criticizing powerful politicians, but why did Wendy Mensley never criticize, you know, Canada's powerful politicians? The Prime Minister, his advisors. Wendy Mensley said more about Stormy Daniels than she did about Rose Knight, the woman Trudeau molested. She said more about Don Jr.'s activities than about Trudeau's family activities, including business deals he's, uh, that his brother had with the Chinese and the Iranian dictatorships. I wonder why Wendy Mansley never held Canadian politicians to account. Gee, I wonder why. 
So that's who she's been for the past few years. She has a job for life there, as any ex of Peter Mansbridge would, but it's it's just how it works there. But her weird show was tucked away on a day and a time in the schedule where no one's really watching CBC. And, and it was mercifully just once a week. Boy, was it kooky, and she sure hated us. Uh, the federal government cut your funding for research. Uh, Rebel Media came in and did a crowdfunding uh, project for you, raised about $200,000. Mm -hmm. um, after Charlottesville uh, and the riots, the protests there, uh, many people cut ties with Rebel Media, including the conservative leader, Andrew Scheer, saying mm -hmm. that it could be seen as giving hate groups a platform. Um, you still go on there, so I'm wondering, why do you go on Rebel Media after, after Charlottesville? But I do wonder uh, if you've noticed that uh, Rebel Media, for example, does seem to be fond of you. It's been accused, of course, of being supportive of white supremacist views. Ezra Levant, they have a, a million subscribers on YouTube, uh, mm. 150,000 followers on, on, uh, on Facebook. Do, do you want his support? Do you want his audience? I never understood why conservatives would go on that show. Anyways, as you can see, Wendy Mansley made a living not only being a conspiracy theorist of the hard left, but also by calling anyone she didn't like racist. I won't get into all the examples, but it was a major theme of hers. But how does that work when you, Wendy, are a woman of privilege who owes her position to her first husband, who would have been retired a long time ago, and sorry to say it, how long do you really think you're going to get away with it to be a woke anti-racism activist when you are a basic white liberal woman? I mean, how long do you think it's going to work for you before you wind up on your own sword? I mean, you're calling everyone racist just because. When do you think you're going to be vulnerable to that charge yourself, except for in her case, it wouldn't be a false charge. Incredibly, in staff meetings, Wendy Mansley would use the N-word, the derogatory swear word against black people, repeatedly, despite people expressing their comfort with it, despite black people being in the room, she would use the N-word. Who does that? Who talks that way in private or in staff meetings? What on earth? Well, listen, Jiang Amashi used the CBC as a giant conveyor belt for young, naive, desperate women who would do anything to move up a rung on the ladder of showbiz. He was a predator on them. He used the CBC as a giant dating service, preying on audience members and interns. I guess what I'm saying is the CBC condoned that sort of thing, defended that sort of thing for Jean Gameshi. Why wouldn't they do it for Peter Mansbridge's ex? Just to be clear, Wendy Mesley was not fired for saying the N-word. She said the N-word repeatedly, and everyone in the CBC knew it. She wasn't fired for it. She was only suspended when it became public news. Then she was suspended for it. In the meantime, it was just like Gian Gameshi. They ran cover for her. They made excuses for her, probably tried to discredit any black person or other ally who said, yeah, maybe tone it down with the KKK talk, Wendy. And to think she dared to call Jordan Peterson or Maxime Bernier intolerant. But here's what Sheila Gunn-Reed found in those emails. The CBC refused to publish in the news stories the N-word that Wendy Mansley kept saying in meetings. They, they refused to let the world know what she shamefully did. They just never said what the word was. They just refused to. They thought they could pretend it was something else, that they could cover it up. But when people in the comments section on the CBC website wrote it, 
when they did the reporting that CBC was trying to stifle, those comments were immediately deleted. The CBC said it broke the rules by being demonstrably false or language that is potentially harmful. Seriously, Wendy Mansley drops the N-word again and again. The CBC keeps it a secret or tries to, but anyone who mentions it, who does the reporting in the comment section, they're banned. They're banned for being racist. Even if they're reporting it as a fact, which they did, the fact that Wendy Mansley said it, let that sink in. They weren't reporting the news. They were hiding the news because it embarrassed them and Peter Mansbridge's ex. The, the second thing to know is that besides deleting comments from the public that told the truth, the CBC simply were not going to report the story to vast swaths of their audience. If I'm reading this email right, there wasn't a single story in Radio Canada, that's RC, that's, that's what French language CBC is called, Radio Canada. There wasn't a single story permitted in French about the N-word incidents. Not one, and nothing on social, so that's what social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever. The CBC simply were pretending that the biggest racism scandal in recent memory in national journalism just didn't happen. They were just gonna close their eyes and cover their ears and pretend it didn't happen to protect their own. To their chief accuser, their chief slanderer, who called everyone else racist, they were protecting her. And they're just getting started, look at this. Just last night, here's CBC's chief censor, Brody Fenlon. This is a news story. This isn't from access to information. This is in the CBC itself. Why CBC is turning off Facebook comments on news posts for a month. Social media attacks on our journalists and the subjects of our stories is something we take seriously. For sure, just like Wendy Messley, <laughs> she's allowed to attack you. She's allowed to smear you, call you a racist. You just can't talk back. When they do an investigation, that's what they call it when they attack you. That's an investigation. When you attack them, it's an attack. I love that. Attacks on the subjects of our stories. Again, the word attack is doing a lot of heavy lifting there. I know what attacks on journalists look like. Here's a left-wing radical named Dion Buse attacking Sheila Gunn-Reed. It would be feminine. No, no, no. I'm just asking a question. Do I seem unreasonable to you? Yes, you seem unreasonable. Because I wasn't. I think I might come across as pleasant right now. Yeah, absolutely. We're just trying to have a conversation here. I'm having. I'm trying to have a conversation with you. Go away. Get out of your face. I will break your camera. You do not have the right to. Whoa. Guys, let's calm down. Calm down. You don't have the right to film before you go. Yes, she does. Just you. Guy, dude, you just hit me in the face. That's an attack. Here's the Toronto police attacking our reporters. Here's a, an attack. You want to see an attack? Here's the Montreal police attacking our reporters. Why? 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 Sorry, speak English. I don't know what you're saying. Why do you need... Hands off her. Hands off her, man. Sorry. 
crooked cops, corrupt cops. You're pushing me with a bicycle. What's your fucking bike then? Are you kidding me? What's your fucking bike? Hey. That's an attack. What this clown Brody Fenlon that CBC means is not an attack. He means mean words, mean comments. That's what he's going to stamp out. What a loser. There is ample evidence the mental health of many Canadians is fragile and in need of attention after 16 months of pandemic lockdowns, school closures, and economic uncertainty. Journalists are no different. Some recent articles on the well-being of reporters tasked with covering a crisis they're also living through have many of us looking in the mirror to take stock of our health. Compounding the stress and anxiety of journalists is the vitriol and harassment many of them face on social media platforms and, increasingly, in the field. As Andre Picard wrote in a recent column, for journalists, platform like Twitter can be a great way to find sources and promote their work, but also a cesspool of hatred. Increasingly, reporters are also physically attacked. Is that true? It's true about rebel reporters. I haven't seen a CBC reporter physically attacked. I don't want them physically attacked. But if by attacking you mean mean words, no one attacks Canadians more than the CBC. No one pits Canadians against each other based on race or sex or sexuality or whatever more than the CBC. They hate you. They, they hate what the first letter C stands for their name. Right now they're on a waging war against Canadian identity, against Canada, against John A. Macdonald. They're the ones pitting us against each other. They're the ones trafficking in conspiracy theories while they accuse everyone else of that. Now they're saying they're attacked. They're not attacked. And they're sick of you complaining about them and their bitterness. So instead of changing who they are and what they do, instead of looking in the mirror, instead of providing more balance or reflecting on their own misconduct, they're not just going to moderate comments anymore. They're just deleting them altogether. You ever been on Facebook? Of course you have. It's the most popular app in the world. What's the point of Facebook? It's interactive. You can comment or like or share things. Someone says something, you can speak out. That's the fun of it. So what's the point of Facebook with no comments? The CBC wants you to be a passive receptor of their views. No questions asked, no objections allowed. You can't talk back because that's a bigot's move. They can attack you. You can't criticize them. No wonder no one listens to them anymore except one guy, Justin Trudeau. And he's the only one they listen to. Look, if one guy gave me $1.5 billion a year, he'd be pretty sure I'd listen to him. I'm pretty sure... I'd consider silencing any public riffraff who was mean to the guy giving me a billion and a half a year in the comments. This isn't just the CBC silencing ordinary Canadians, so. This is the CBC showing the template for everyone else in the media when Stephen Gilbo's new internet censorship rules come in. No more comments from the little people. This is how they'll all have to be, mark my words. By the way, it was a small detail, but... Uh, you know, um, her show was canceled, Bundy Mesley. The Weekly was canceled. It was a terrible show. But she actually wasn't. And judging by her Twitter feed, Wendy Mesley actually has not been fired for her racist outburst. I think, and, and I'm trying to find out, I think that bigot is still on the payroll. I think maybe they're just waiting to shut down all the comments before they give her a new show. That way, no one can complain. Stay with us for more.
Not too close, not too close. Okay, guys, step back, please. That was the Calgary police arresting yet again, jailing yet again, putting behind bars yet again a Christian pastor, this one named Tim Stevens. I couldn't help but notice the three words on the car, vigilance, courage, pride. I think they should be prosecuted for false advertising. They're not vigilant against crime. Courage, they're a bunch of cowards. And pride, I think if they are proud of what they did there, arresting a dad in front of his crying kids, then they are disgraceful. I've always said Toronto's police are the most violent in Canada. Montreal's are the most corrupt. The dumbest cops in Canada are from Aylmer, Ontario. But pound for pound, the meanest police in Canada work for Calgary. You'll remember they threatened to taser young Ocean Weisblatt for the crime of skating on a public rink that happened to be open that day. These mean, malicious, bad faith, I don't know, I, I, I feel like I need theological terminology to properly describe them. They're demonic. Who would put a dad behind bars in a police car was, was he violent? Was he going to, was this dad, this pastor going to go on a shooting spree? The Calgary police force are as much a disgrace as their mayor and police chief. And I know that's just like a race to the bottom. Just horrific. I can't watch videos like that easily. There's another one we have of an Australian mum being arrested on the sidewalk by pandemic police and separated by her screaming child. And this, while the NHL gets a free pass, while Justin Trudeau jets off to the G7 and NATO and other meetings, hobnobbing, he puts on a mask for a photo, then takes it off immediately. You know, I, I Jason Kenney and Tyler Shandro, the health minister in Alberta, having a late night party at the Sky Palace with lots of booze. That's fine. But my God, we've got to arrest this Christian pastor in front of his children just to rub it in, because that's what you do when you're inspired by vigilance, courage, and pride. They are a disgrace. Well, joining me now is the man who was on the scene reporting that terrible moment, our new Calgary reporter, Adam Sose. He joins us via Skype. Adam, good to see you. You've had a rapport with uh, Pastor Stevens as well as other pastors. I don't understand the war on pastors. I mean, uh, there are a lot of different groups in society that like to be social, that like to meet. It's a human uh, characteristic. We all like the company of each other. Sports teams in the NHL and other professional leagues are given special dispensation in Alberta. I know they're clearing the way for the Calgary Stampede, a very large event. We saw that the premier and the health minister themselves enjoyed a good party over a bottle of Jameson's uh, whiskey at the Sky Palace. Why are they going so hard against Christian pastors and only Christian pastors? They did arrest a restaurateur up in Mirror, Alberta, but the rage against Christian pastors compared to the neutrality or passivity elsewhere is remarkable. Why? 
I mean, I've come to the point now where the only possible solution or answer to that question is discrimination and bigotry. Other groups are are violating the terms and these conditions in much more egregious ways, but authorities are looking the other way. Other religious groups, there's complaints being filed against them, but police won't even investigate. We went out and checked out some of these other gatherings. Police say that there's no violations taking place. AHS says the same thing. It's simply not true. This is targeted discrimination. We know that because Tyler Shandro specifically called these people out to be made an example of. Yeah, and that's what troubles me. I mean, Maxime Bernier was arrested the other day in Manitoba after he was specifically named by the premier and a mayor who basically threatened him. I mean, the premier said, you'll be lighter in the wallet if you come to down. That's, what does that mean? That doesn't mean you'll be paying taxes. That doesn't mean you'll go on a shopping spree. That means you will be fined. He told the police what to do and they did it. You have the same thing here. Let me play you a clip from Calgary's debased and disgraced mayor, Nahid Denshi, who says you have to be a far-right kook and a white supremacist to uh, object to the lockdowns. Take a look at this. Those people at those anti-mask protests, let's not kid ourselves. They're not people who need to eat. They are people who are marching in thinly veiled white nationalist supremacist anti-government protests, and they don't deserve that kind of sympathy. And uh... he said that same thing several times. I think it's pretty clear that these are politically directed police, and that's what we call a police state. That's how it works in Venezuela, in Russia. It's happening in Calgary, which used to be the most conservative city in Canada. Why doesn't anyone care? I mean, you care, and I care, and Sheila Gunn-Reed cares, and our team cares, and the Justice Center for Constitutional Freedoms cares. But I think I've just listed everyone who cares. And I think I agree with you, and I think that that often, and it's similar that the people who are coming out and, and sharing their experiences, talking about this persecution, very often come from countries where these freedoms don't, exist or that these freedoms were hard fought for. We're very privileged in Canada, Alberta, and Calgary. We think that these freedoms are a baseline, but that's simply not the case. They're the rare exception. These freedoms are something that must be guarded vigilantly. It's so perfect that you brought up that specific clip. I was actually going to suggest it would be the perfect clip to play. Later on in that very clip of Nahid Nenshi, he says, well, I'm not really one to circumvent the judicial process. But certain times, the sort of acceptance of it. He's basically himself in that video admitting, admitting openly that he is willing to circumvent the just course of law. We've heard that from lawyers. When you witness the contact, conduct of these judges in court and some of their rulings, they're not upholding the law. They're not adhering to the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. They're going off on their own, and it's ideological warfare. Yeah. You know, I've been thinking about the mass failure of the entire establishment. It's not just a failure of the media. It's not just a failure of police and police commissions and police oversight boards. It's not just a failure of civil liberties NGOs. It's not just a failure of law professors. It's not just a failure of judges. It's not just a failure of business lobby groups. It's not just a failure of Christian associations. Like most Christian churches are silent or condemning the ones that are open. It's not just a failure of the governments, it's not just a failure of the opposition parties. I guess what I've just done there is shown you there's 10 different institutions that in the past would have been like a network, and if any one part of that net were broken, well, the other nine parts would be, like if you're going to catch a tiger, 
you have a net and every single knot has to be there. But if one knot breaks, you still got the tiger because the other nine knots hold. But what happens when nine out of ten knots in the net break? You can't catch the tiger. The government, the power of the government is so massive that you need all those little knots in the net to catch the tiger. And I tell you that nine out of ten of those knots have failed. And I put the judges in that category, too. I haven't seen a judge anywhere in Canada who has in any meaningful way struck down these extreme laws. Uh, and they're not even laws in many cases. They're just edicts or orders, very few of which have even been debated in Parliament, most of which are just regulations. It's a total system failure. And, and we're, we're really right up against authoritarian regimes. What's the difference? Like, what is the difference? Why can't they go further? They've gone this far. And I think to your point, there's all those levels of security that are supposed to safeguard us. But ultimately what it comes down to is each and every one of us as citizens, whether we tolerate this or not, we need to stand up. It's not simply enough to be upset. It's not simply enough to go out to tweet. I encourage people to take an active stance. Send a letter to the police. Get out there. Become politically active. Go to fightthefines.com and make a contribution because we're helping people fight back. There are so few voices standing up for the freedoms that make Canada great. And it's about time that we as citizens get together and rebel in a spirit of freedom and truth and put an end to this nonsense once and for all. You know, let me quote to you from Professor Bruce Party. I saw this on Twitter. He says, he's quoting Alan Borovoy, who was the former general counsel of the Canadian Civil Liberties Association. He's passed away now, but he was a true civil libertarian. I had the pleasure of meeting him uh, when I was a younger man. And he said this, I tell people that Canada is a pleasantly authoritarian country. And I think he's spot on with that. We always said, oh, we're much nicer than those Americans. We're nicer. They're so rough and tumble. And there's some truth to it. They are rough and tumble. They are a country born in revolution, not in negotiation. But for all of Canada's niceness, if we do say so ourselves, we didn't have their undergirding of liberty and their rebellious spirit. And when everyone is marching uniformly down the road to authoritarianism, I don't want everyone to be smiling. This is fine. This is fine. No, no, this is fine. It's not fine. And we have so few people objecting. And if that video clip of children crying as their dad is taken away doesn't rouse you, then I think there's something broken with you. And maybe there is. Maybe we've got 38 million broken people for whom the pandemic has snapped something in our heads. But I find it unacceptable. I certainly agree. And I think that what we're seeing here, there's always this perpetual pendulum swing within the flow of history. And with that video, with what we've captured them doing, society is realizing that the pendulum has swung too far in favor of this radical progressivism, this anti Christian mentality that is so pervasive in society. And people are going to start pushing the pendulum back. And I promise to those people, those officers, those health authorities, Alberta Health Services, and Jason Kenney, any time you do something like that, we are going to be there to catch you. Yeah, well, I just wish there were more of us. I, uh, I think that it's true if there were some mass civil disobedience, if everyone just stopped wearing the stupid masks. If everyone stopped with the foolishness, it would be over. 
They can't jail everybody, as they say, but they come down so hard on those first who do that I think it's to scare other people. They throw Christian pastors in prison. They want you, they actually want you, Adam, to film the crying children as a deterrent to anyone who else has big ideas that they might open their restaurant or live freely uh, to say, yikes, I don't want that to happen to my kids. I didn't know we were living so brutally now, but now that I see it, because Rebel News was there to capture it, well, now I know what's in store for me. I think we're at that perverse place where the government wants to be brutal and bloody to scare people into compliance. It's just my theory. Listen, keep it up down there. Thanks for reporting on Calgary and all around Alberta. As you do, I know you've crisscrossed the province and Sheila Gunn-Reed, and we got uh, Key and Simone K2, as we call them, and, of course, Daniel Day up there in Edmonton. So you guys are doing a great job out there. Thanks for your time, Adam. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. All right, there you have it. Adam Sos, he's our Calgary-based reporter. Stay with us. More ahead. Welcome back on my show last night. Tom writes, I'm curious as to where was John Stewart's rant when T Trump and Pompeo suggested the virus was a result of a lab leak. Stunning and brave to come out now, eh? Well, you're right. It's very safe for him to come out now in terms of not wanting to give Trump any support. Um, I give him some courage and some credit for courage, though, because he's already being denounced by the left-wing media. I don't know if they'll cancel him. Like I say... Trump was removed, the West was destroyed economically, authoritarianism has taken deep root, and there are, what, five, sorry, nine new pharma billionaires, so let the clown poke fun now. He, he would have been useful a year ago, wouldn't he? Agent writes, what's causing damage to people? It's not just the vaccine, but the mental break of having life on pause and restricted. They've caused so much psychological damage. Yeah, well, that's what I was alluding to when I took you through the Statistics Canada excess or surplus excess deaths chart. In the first half of the year, it was seniors dying in long-term care homes from the virus. That is true. But in the latter part of the year, it was young people dying from depression or things they do when they're depressed. Suicide, drugs. That is absolutely ongoing. And then there's the low-level psychological damage of living in fear, wearing a mask, being terrified of just talking to other humans. Imagine being a child growing up this way. Imagine being a teenager living this way. That's even worse. That's the show for today, my friends. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here to you at home, good night. Keep fighting for freedom.